Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 85, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, Wheel of Fortune. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode on anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. You said it wrong. It's Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean by that? Um, you grew up watching that show, that game show? I did, even though I, I wasn't very good at it. I could never guess really? any of the phrases. Yeah, I'd have to wait until a couple consonants and vowels showed up on the board before I could get it. Uh, but yeah, I would always watch that show with my family growing up. And so every time I see the words Wheel of Fortune, I hear that audience chanting it at the beginning of the show. But it seems here the tie-in is the wheel part because it's a car. This is this whole episode is one big road ra- road rage simulator. That's what I thought the entire time we were watching it. Like the last one about Joseph was a running simulator. This one's uh, a road yeah. rage simulator. <laughs> <laughs> I was also thinking, are, are Transformers a JoJo reference now? They could Since, be. Yeah, like they could Wheel be. of Fortune turns from a car into a monstrosity. <laughs> But before we get into the episode, uh, I just have one piece of JoJo news. Not really JoJo news, but something interesting to note um, within the JoJo sphere. Uh, There was a tweet that was going around this week uh, from Saitama Goaded. And it's a clip of, I think it's, they're interviewing, I don't know which news outlet, but it's the cast of the upcoming movie Scream 6 and... I think it's oh it's Vanity Fair and they're interviewing the actors where the actors are quizzing each other on facts about themselves. And so I think one of the actors from the oh no, this is the host of whatever show this is, Mason Gooding, asked the cast what his dog's name was. Uh Jenna Ortega, who some people might know as Wednesday Adams from that Wednesday Netflix series, um, she answered Iggy because she knew that the name from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, which I guess is one of this host's favorite anime. So part three tie-in, of course, to our episode there, but also just interesting that someone within the Western pop culture sphere is knowledgeable about Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. And someone that I, I personally didn't even think would like anime or was into anime. I'm curious to know like what her level of anime knowledge is or if she just knows about like a handful of shows like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Because you hear about um, Michael B. Jordan being a huge anime fan and other celebrities, um, but then you have like these one-offs where they'll they'll reference an anime and you're like, oh, I didn't think or didn't know that you enjoyed that. Yeah. Okay, I have a confused. Mason Gooding is in Scream 6, but they he was asking the cast uh, facts about himself. But yeah, again, it, it's interesting how many celebrities now are Open, celebrities and athletes are opening up about their love of anime. Um, so it, I guess it remains to be seen whether Jen Ortega herself is an anime lover or if she just happened to know off the top of her head about Iggy being from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, but you know, I'll share a link or we'll share a link to this tweet with the, I think it's like a 15 second video in our Discord. So if you are not already a member of our Discord, the link to that is in the description. So when it comes to Wheel of Fortune, this episode, I don't know, like this episode is funny. It's interesting to watch, but it's definitely one of the more lackluster enemy stand battles, I would say, across Stardust Crusaders. Yeah, I don't really, I don't know if I really have much to say with this episode um, in our discussion, but it does feel kind of like that 
a cookie cutter stand of the week formula that we've we'll, we'll come to see a lot in part three, but it becomes more blatantly obvious with this episode, especially because I don't think that Wheel of Fortune is a very interesting stand. I mean, it's similar in concept to, uh, what was it, Strength? The, oh, the boat with the monkey? Yeah, but it also just feels like something that you can see in other forms of media. Like the thing with stands that makes it interesting is that Araki always chooses some sort of trait or characteristic about it that you normally wouldn't see anywhere else, like in another anime or other forms of media. But in this case, like I said in the beginning, this this episode with its enemy stand just reminded me of like Transformers. Yeah, I think this the the forte of this episode is really in the comedic moments that happen throughout, especially with Anne being reintroduced um, and her her different, very different reaction to Jotaro in this second meeting. And I think those are the things that that make it enjoyable for me to watch. Um, there's also some iconic memes that that came out of this episode. But if you were to strip all of those things away, the fight alone between the Crusaders and basically like a red car <laughs> is not the most exciting like there's just certain points where i'm like why don't you just run away or why don't you just you know do x y or z and i know that there's you know like for one one thing i thought of was why don't you just cross that that bridge right like the rickety bridge oh, right. like just cross the bridge and run away but i get it like the car could just burrow its way to the other side of the cliff and upward and and catch them in that in that sense but i don't know i just like i think the, the stand battle itself, while Araki does a really good job of taking very mundane moments and making them into something grand, which is definitely the case here. Like, it is very over the top, them fighting this car. Um, I still think if you were to strip away some of the other things that make this, this episode enjoyable, it would probably be a pretty forgettable episode. You could literally say this is a transitional episode because they are transitioning from India to Pakistan. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. They're in transit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so maybe that's why we feel like this episode is a bit lackluster. <laughs> but all right, JoJo fans, make sure you strap on your seatbelts as we crusade into our synopsis and discussion for part three, episode 13, Wheel of Fortune. The Crusaders continue onwards towards Cairo in their Karezi caravan with a passing pit stop in Pakistan where they pick up a hitchhiker who just happens to be the president of Jotaro's fan club from episodes previous, Anne. But it turns out that someone else is trying to tag along with the team in the form of an Among Us colored car, which eventually careens the caravan over a cliffside before Kukuin uses Hierophant Green to latch their vehicle onto the Sussy Sedan. Star Platinum pulls their caravan back to safety and makes the red rocket switch places with them until they find out via Sirius XM radio that the Road Rager is none other than their newest enemy stand of the week, Wheel of Fortune. ZZ takes the wheel in blowing their caravan to smithereens and dousing the Crusaders in Eau de Petroleum in an attempt to set them ablaze with his vicious vehicular vessel. But the jockey juvenile Jojo commands Star Platinum to learn the Pokemon move Dig to outflank ZZ and send him flying to DZing Heights. As a form of recompense, the Crusaders leave ZZ chained to a boulder and decide to GTA carjack his whip to continue their calamitous crusade. Call it Rock and Roll. Elsewhere, a very irate Nyaba humbug, realizing that she is all out of tarot cards and crushing the confident Crusaders, finally decides to, quite literally, take justice into her own hands. 
And now on to our next segment of the show, is that a music and or tarot reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So starting with the tarot card reference, we have the enemy stand itself, Wheel of Fortune. This is in reference to Wheel of Fortune, which is the 10th card in the tarot deck. A common aspect to most interpretations of this card is to introduce an element of change in one's life, such change being in station, position, or fortune, such as the rich becoming poor or the poor becoming rich. The Wheel of Fortune card asks you to be optimistic and have faith that the universe will take care of your situation in the best way possible. So I think with the Stand Wheel of Fortune, it kind of combines two aspects of these interpretations with the Stand's ability to transform from a dilapidated vehicle to this overbearing monstrosity, sort of that that change in one's life or that change in station or position, and then linking that to ZZ's confidence levels, um, that kind of being in tune with the Wheel of Fortune, the card itself asking you to be optimistic and have faith that everything's going to work out. So very interesting for Araki to combine those two concepts for the tarot card in the stand itself. I don't know if I find it like like, like clever or lazy is a bad word. I can't think of a word less harsh than, than lazy, but I don't know if I can if I find it like lazy or clever that Araki took the concept that he used for strength and the boat and applied it to a car because I think it makes sense, right? Like you you have a stand that can take this tiny old rowboat and through the immense power that this orangutan has in projecting its stand, it can create or it can transform that that you know rowboat or that small boat, whatever it was, um, into this giant freighter. You can apply that, I guess, to a car as well because you you have this like really old junky car that the stand user is able to transform into what looks like a really nice car, some sort of muscle car. Um, but at the same time, it's like you've already done this concept once. I'm like on the fence about it because I'm like, yeah, you could apply it to a bunch of stuff. You could apply it to an airplane if you wanted um, or a train or any, you know, vehicle <laughs> of any sort. You could even apply it to a building if you wanted. Um, but is reusing that same concept kind of lazy in a sense? And I hate using the word lazy. I can't think of a, a, a less intense word, but that's the one that comes to mind right now. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily lazy. I think Araki was just almost limited to, of you know, of course, he wants to use all the cards in the tarot deck as, as stands. And so he, it's kind of like with Wheel of Fortune, he wanted to incorporate that wheel aspect of it as much as he could. Although, like you said, it's very similar in traits to strength, which looking back on my notes for that, that tarot card is challenge, represents challenge, powerful will, hidden instinct. So very similar, I guess, to wheel of fortunes tarot card yeah and i'm sure in the world of stands there are going to be stands that have very similar properties i mean if you look at star platinum and then you look at the world yeah the world (laughs) or or even um uh crazy diamond or uh stone free like they are all power stands like short range power stands that have a very similar feel to them now that's probably because the Joestar lineage has that that blood tie, so their stands are going to be very similar. Um, but here, I highly doubt ZZ has any blood tie to an, an orangutan, <laughs> unless there's something we don't know about. 
And the second reference in this episode is the music reference, and that's with the name of the enemy stand user, ZZ. His name is a reference to ZZ Top, an American rock band formed in Houston, Texas, known for their sly and humorous lyrics in such singles as LaGrange and, one of my favorites, Sharp Dressed Man, which I finally remember playing on Guitar Hero for the PS2 back in the day. I think that was one of the first songs that you would play in that game. That is a really good song. Well, now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And we have two. I know we talked about this last time, but it is kind of nice to be back in a, a spot of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure where there's quite a lot of memes because Stone Ocean was still kind of ramping up on its memes. But the memes in this episode we have um, are the Jotaro Diglett, which is essentially the moment that Jotaro pops out of the ground and is sitting there, you know, waist down underground, basically looking like a, a fucking Diglett. You've got a bunch of memes that tie <laughs> into this. Um, you're just calling him Jotaro Diglett or <laughs> superimposing him on a Pokemon battle um, from one of the video games. And then, uh, yeah, you've got... This one I think is my favorite. There's one that says, me bringing my level 100 Diglett to fight the Elite Four. I mean, yeah, that that makes sense for <laughs> Jotaro Diglett. The You're other... just limiting him to level 100? Yeah. <laughs> He's the only one that could surpass that, I'm sure. The other meme that we have is Jotaro smiling. So it comes at the end of the episode when the group is laughing, I guess, um, at ZZ's demise. And for some reason, Jotaro is smiling in the background. He's not laughing with everybody, but he's giving a very, very obvious smile. So we've got a, a meme that relates to that. It's it's some like fake YouTube video, YouTube video that says top 10 images science still can't explain. <laughs> and it's all of Jotaro's smiling moments. But I think of all of the smiles that Jotaro gives in part three, this one's like the friendliest. It's the most out of place for Jotaro, I would say, too. Like he has the the bright um like his eyes are closed but they have that bright expression. Yeah, like the anime like like what do you call it? like arch looking yeah. eyes. <laughs> like the other ones in this fake YouTube video, they they feel a little bit natural for Jotaro, but yeah, the smile he cracks in this episode it's just weird. They're more like smirks, except for this one, which feels like a genuine warm smile, and I'm like why <laughs> that's just so out of character for him which i think is why it's become such a meme because you're you're just not you're not ready for it you see the group laughing and then the background jotaro is just happy-go-lucky and you're like what the fuck is wrong with him <laughs> maybe because he sees how the group is just bullying zz after they defeat him and he enjoys that yeah <laughs> So this episode starts off with um, their biggest mistake, I would say. Letting Polnareff drive the damn car. <laughs> Polnareff is driving this car and basically harassing the shit out of the enemy stand user who is in the red car. Um, I don't know. I just think like of all the people to drive them anywhere, I would not pick Polnareff. Yeah. What was the decision behind that? I know that Joseph threw the key into his flat top yeah. at the end of the last episode, but... <laughs> Yeah, why why would they decide on Polnareff? I know you think Kakyoin would be the designated driver for like everything, unless they're flying because... an airplane. Then it's Joseph. Oh yeah, or I was thinking just because they're they're young, they're they're still students. Oh, um, that's true. What's the legal driving age yeah. in India? I don't know. <laughs> or even like Joseph, like why why wouldn't he drive? Unless he's still 
Oh, it might be because he's still wanted by the Indian authorities. And maybe his mechanical hand is still fucked up from Empress. Yeah, so he's still recovering. Okay, so the yeah, Polnareff's their best option, I guess, <laughs> at this point. Their best and worst option. Well, while he's driving, um, one of the first things he says is that he wants to give Abdul a proper grave when he comes back to India. And if you notice, no one else in the car really responds. I think Kakyoin says like one word of response, but everyone else just sort of grunts or looks out the window, probably because they all know the truth. And Polnareff is the only one that doesn't know the truth at this point, that Abdul is just fine. He's just recovering. Did they know the truth? I think we'd have to revisit this once we see Avdol's return. I yeah, you're right. We'll have to double check, but I'm like pretty sure that they knew um, very early on that Avdol was okay because they wasn't it like Kakyoin and I don't know if it was Jotaro or Joseph. A couple of them actually took Avdol to get medical attention is my assumption. Oh, they wouldn't right. have left him on the street, right? Like they probably realized he's still alive. He just needs medical attention. And then helped him to get that, but they didn't want to tell Polnareff because, you know, you got to fuck with him sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so after Polnareff says this, this is when he starts to have his road, ra road rage simulator against this enemy stand user red car. And there's this weird camera angle that I pointed out to you when we were rewatching this episode where Polnareff like swerves around the red car. And then it shows like him and Kakyoin in the front seats. And Kakyoin's telling him, like, hey, you got to be careful. What are you doing? But the camera angle is, like, literally, like, as if they were looking down. Like, as if they were falling down a cliff or something. I'm like, why Why did they choose this camera angle? Like, I'm trying to describe it. Like, instead of looking like they are driving really fast forward, it literally looks like they are falling downward. <laughs> I, I don't know why mm -hmm. they did this. And it was just for a brief moment, but I had to call it out. I would say it was to evoke a sense of how erratic Polnareff's driving is. Uh, he, he's passing the car in this moment, right? And yeah. it's a it's a very rocky pass that he does on the car. And so I, I guess like a, a vertical angle of what's going on uh, just helps to cement how poor of a driver Polnareff is. I guess, but at that point, might as well just like show them upside down for all I can. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just very strange because it was it like ripped me out of the episode for a second. I was like, why? Why do they look like they're falling straight down a cliff? But anyway, it's a very brief moment. I, I'm sure it means nothing in the grand scheme of things, but I don't know who chose to, to you know, animate it in that way, but I'd love to know the thought process behind that. But as they're driving along, they cut a corner, and lo and behold, they find Anne, and she's hitchhiking, and Jotaro's reaction is a big old yada yada daze. So it's this point where he's just, up with seeing Anne so much he's probably like okay what the fuck <laughs> like why is she still out here hitchhiking because I think they tried to send her home last time when they parted ways with her yeah uh she mentions wanting to go back to Singapore or is it Hong Kong to to find her her father or her parents or whatever yeah, and so when they pick her up, she explains that now's the time for her to explore the world after running away from home. So she does admit to running away from home, um, and she wants to like see the world and all this stuff before she becomes, in her words, like a full-fledged girl who's trying to impress boys by like painting her nails and stuff. And for some reason, she feels like she can't go explore the world when she's at that point in her life. I have no idea where this thought process comes from. Yeah, because I would but... say when you're older... You have more resources, like like a job maybe, um, 
you're of legal age to do certain things in other countries. And you like, probably don't have to be a stowaway on a ship or right. hitchhike with, with random drivers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know her thought process either. Uh, but seeing Anne here made me think if like there were ever any secret cameos of Anne. Because we haven't seen her in any episodes for a while since they formally parted ways with her earlier. If cause, like I think she was a stowaway on the train that they took to India. But... Yeah, I was, I'm thinking back to, did they sneak in some shots where, you know, Anne is secretly tailing the Crusaders um, up until this moment, like in the last episode with Joseph, if she's just some character in the in the background that we didn't happen to see. That'd be cool. I, I, I bet if that was the case, somebody in the JoJo fandom would have noticed it. Um, but maybe it's it's out there secretly. Because, yeah, I mean, how, how the fuck did she know where they were going to be? Especially like in the middle of this mountainous pass, <laughs> but she's there, um, and she's with the the Crusaders once again, and the road rage simulator continues between Polnareff and this enemy stand user. So the enemy stand user, I think, like guides them or like forces their car to turn a corner so that they're about to have a head-on collision with a semi truck. And Jotaro uses Star Platinum to push back some of the momentum from the truck. Um, to, to minimize the damage on their car. And even Polnareff says if he hadn't done that, they would have been totally destroyed by that truck. Um, and then when they stopped, I think the red car is nearby. And Kakyoin says that they... Or no, no, the truck is, is stopped nearby, obviously, because they ran into each other. And Kakyoin says that they should check on the truck driver. And Jotaro coldly says, just ignore it. Pretend you never saw it. Awful. And I'm like, damn, Jotaro. <laughs> <laughs> that is a hit and run. Yeah. <laughs> like, Joseph already has the authorities on his ass. And now you have this additional thing <laughs> to send a warrant out for their arrest. I'm sure the truck truck driver would have been absolutely fine if they just had a normal head-on collision because there's no way their smaller car probably could have um, caused as much damage to the truck driver. But we're talking about a truck driver who just went through a punch from Star Platinum. He probably needs to be checked on. He probably needs medical attention immediately. And Jotaro's like, nah, he's good. Don't worry about it. And he also saw the other car just flip over on its on its head. Just, just a strange thing to, I don't know, that truck driver just going through everything right now, <laughs> seeing things and then feeling all these injuries. Well, after Jotaro says this very cold line of his, Anne gets like smitten with him or like starts to get feelings for him and says in her inner monologue, oh my God, he's so cool and like gushes over him. And this is what begins the change in attitude Jotaro has toward Anne that I've spoken about earlier in our part three part three review when Anne was first introduced in the the not the strength episode but the one before that with the boat mm -hmm. I guess they're both boat episodes the one with the captain <laughs> that's the episode I'm talking about and I talked a lot about how Jotaro responds to strength and that he did not find Anne to be super annoying during the captain crunch episode and the strength episode because Anne I don't know, she gave off like this toughness and she didn't want to be treated like a little kid or like a little girl. And I don't know, I, th I think he just really um, respected that and acknowledged that. But here you have Anne behaving completely different, like doing a 180, um, you know, having feelings for Jotaro, saying like, oh, I'm going to be a, a full-fledged girl soon and I won't be able to do anything but paint my nails and just kind of being completely different than she was before. And I think Jotaro is sensing that and losing the respect that he originally had from her or had for her because as the episode goes on, he has less and less patience with her. 
Yeah, because I guess now she kind of serves as a hindrance to the group by tagging along. And I think it's pretty clear after what happens in this episode that it might be mostly because of her infatuation with Jotaro rather than, you know, I think Jotaro is content with her staying behind to separate from them so that she could go find her father, uh, which I think was a respectable thing in his eyes, but for her to say no to that and then to just come along with them for the, for the hell of it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that that's annoying to anyone. Like if, if there's somebody who tags along with you to an event or an outing that you didn't want them to join along with, uh, that can kind of be frustrating. The Crusaders then take a pit stop at some sort of bar, um, I don't know, outdoor bar, whatever it is, and that's when they see the red car parked um, at that same location. And they're all freaking out, but I think what really resonates with me is that Joseph says, there's only one thing to do, right, Jotaro? And Jotaro, without even hearing what was in Joseph's head, already knew what he was about to say. And Jotaro says, yeah, we have to beat all of them up. Everyone in this restaurant or at this bar, we have to beat all of them up until the stand user reveals himself. And you've got Kakioin like freaking out as they're punching all these guys like, what the fuck? Stop. And the whole thing is great because, again, Joseph doesn't even say what his idea is to Jotaro, but because that's his grandson and because they have this connection, Jotaro immediately knows what Joseph is thinking and for some reason thinks that it's okay to just go ahead and beat up everyone at this, this bar. Like, Jotaro's off off the wall in this episode. <laughs> Guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, kind of like Jotaro showing, like, small traits of Joseph. Like, the, these little moments, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is a very Joseph thing to do. And Jotaro, despite being the, the level-headed individual he is, he kind of just gives into it and plays along with it. Yeah, I mean... All of the occupants of that bar or that cafe, they did look like enemy stand users, and so yeah, I think that was meant to throw. <laughs> that us was off their the, first mistake. Yeah. They shouldn't have dressed like that. <laughs> yeah, throw us off the scent, and then we see the car just randomly come up out of nowhere. Um, but I didn't realize like like this scene reminded me of that scene in part five, where uh, the Bucci gang starts beating the shit out of that one guy oh and then abakio takes a drink of his wine and then joins in on the fun (laughs) yeah that's great i feel like now that's a like that scene is a callback to this scene um because i completely forgot about this where they're they're beating the shit out of the innocent uh cafe customers (laughs) well after this once kakyoin gets them to stop i just love how much he's panicking he's like dude what the hell are you doing um but then they actually go and chase the enemy stand user the real enemy stand user because he's back in his car he disappears around the bend um and then they stop right before they fall off a cliff the stand user reappears to push their car off a cliff and Polnareff says that this other car has immense horsepower, basically hinting that this car itself is the stand because it's able to do some very strange things. Now, as the enemy stand user is about to push their car off the cliff, Polnareff is about to jump ship. And Kakioin is like, bro, what the fuck kind of driver bails out of the car before everyone else when he has control over the brake pedal? And then Polnareff's like, oh shit, you're right. And what happened to women and children first 
Oh, yeah, that's true. Anne's in the back of the car. Yeah. He's about to jump ship. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, he thinks after the fact, oh, yeah, I won't be there to push the brake down. So that's what that's what, that's what what stops him. Not that he's abandoning his friends. It's that no one's going to be there to, to push the brake. Honestly, Kakyoin is like the voice of reason throughout this entire episode. He is the only one who's thinking straight, and he's just dumbfounded by everyone's decisions. But again, your first mistake was having Polnareff drive this car. So then Kakyoin, being the level-headed individual of this episode, uses Hierophant Green to hook their car onto the enemy stand user's car, and then Star Platinum kind of like swings them back onto the cliff using the momentum from one of his punches or whatever. Um, and all I can think of is the entire time Anne is probably sitting there in the back of the car like, again, what the fuck is happening? Just like, you know, when she was with them the first time and couldn't see any of the actual stands because she saw, what, the shark getting beat up in the sky but couldn't actually see Star Platinum punching it. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's probably just like, what the fuck is happening? Um, but then I think at one point Jotaro says, realizes that the stand is the car itself, so similar to the boat for strength. Um, and then I kind of think, well, maybe the reason Anne can see this car, despite the car itself being the stand, is because of the immense amount of power the stand needs to manifest a car, similar to the immense amount of power that strength needed to manifest that giant freighter or that giant ship or whatever it was. So because it's a larger object that is being projected, Anne, as a non-stand user, can then see it. Because I assume, while she doesn't directly reference the car at any point, it's pretty obvious she can see the car, right? Yeah. Uh, I would say it's it's the level of, instead of power, it's like the confidence level that ZZ has that's manifesting this car to look like a car. Yeah, that's a good point, because he probably just didn't have nearly the amount of power that a monkey does. But then once it starts to transform into that sort of beast, like what does Anne see there? I would imagine she would still see it because that's got to be giving off even more power than just a regular looking car, right? Mm, maybe, yeah. That would be my assumption. But again, we don't get like a, a straight up confirmation from her on what she's actually seeing. But speaking of Anne, as the group is running away from the enemy stand user, Anne trips and falls and again, does a 180 from the Anne that we saw at the beginning of Stardust Crusaders. She starts ranting that no one is carrying her, even though I think Joseph was carrying her when they first were escaping from the car because um, he like picks her up. But she's like ranting, saying no one's carrying her um, and that she's going to die or whatever. Like she's just like, going off, like not even trying to get up and, and save herself. So then Jotaro comes up and grabs her and says, if you have time to say all of that, you have time to run away, you little brat. Um, and in that moment, Anne gushes over Jotaro and says that she loves him or whatever. But this is, again, me seeing Jotaro lose respect for her because this is not the same Anne that they had been introduced to before. The Anne before would have been very independent, would have been able to fend for herself and would have done whatever she needed to to try and run away. Um, here, she's not even attempting to get up as she's just flailing around on the ground. I think it's just funny that Jotaro mentions the thing about her spewing how she could have saved herself in that time because i think that's that's kind of just like an anime trope isn't it <laughs> yeah or just jojo logic in general how much time do they take spewing spewing over something when uh 
I don't know. They say it's like within a three second span, but they've been talking for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I guess Jotaro is calling out Jojo logic here. But yeah, I think the paramount thing is that Anne is becoming more of a liability than an asset to him. When the anime stand user finally catches up to them, um, he starts firing. Well, I think he had already started firing like little bullets that they couldn't see, which actually were bits of gasoline. Um, mm-hmm. And so now they're soaked in gasoline. I think this is the moment where they realize it because they smell the gasoline on them. Um, and then the enemy stand user, I keep saying enemy stand user, ZZ or whatever, lights Jotaro on fire with electric sparks. And he actually goes up in flames and starts yelling um, in pain. And you've got Anne shrieking out for Jotaro. You've got Kakyoin holding Joseph back because um, he's freaking out about his grandson. And then you have ZZ giving what is maybe one of the only meta references in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, or at least in Stardust Crusaders, saying that part three is now over because the main character, Jotaro, is dead. I wonder if that's the actual translation, or maybe like I wonder what they say in the dubbed version, if it is part three. Or I was reading somewhere that... He might have said round three is over, like referencing it being like a like a boxing match. But I would prefer it to be part three is over. Um, yeah, just because of the like breaking the fourth wall and it being like a meta reference. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. I feel like maybe it's a reference. I like to think it's a reference to part three because then Jotaro responds, at least via the subtitles, Jotaro responds saying, well, then who's going to replace me? Uh, so then I'm kind of thinking like, yeah, who's going to replace me as the main character if part three is over? Uh, but either way, this whole episode, again, is is so nonsensical in a, in a fun way because you have all of these comedic moments that you just wouldn't expect. Um, you also have in this, this episode one of the only times we see Jotaro without his jacket on. I think it's the yeah. only time in all of Stardust Crusaders that we see him without his jacket on. Is that right? I think so. I don't know if this is the only one or if it's one of the few instances. Uh, and I didn't realize he's he's just wearing a tank top under that jacket. I know. We actually get to see his muscles, which is weird because we all we, we know that all of the uh, characters in parts one, two, and three are ripped as fuck. So I guess we get confirmation that the, that's the same for Jotaro. And that's when we get, of course, the Jotaro Diglett meme when he pops out of the ground and he's just hanging out there waist down underground. <laughs> What a cop-out, though, for Star Platinum having helped Jotaro dig underground to avoid getting burned and implying that it was just his jacket that was getting burned because you can see in the flames, like, Jotaro's silhouette. Yeah, you can see. They, like, zoom in on his face as he's yelling, but I guess, um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that one. (laughs) Yeah, another instance of Jojo logic, I guess. Well, Jotaro then, I guess, wails on the car with Star Platinum um, and sends ZZ flying out of the car, creates a road, quote unquote, with his body dragging across the ground. And we get a good glimpse of ZZ and he's got these buff arms with this flabby body everywhere else. And of course, the group then makes fun of him saying he's such an odd character and what the fuck's wrong with him. And that's when we get the shot of the group laughing with Jotaro smiling in the background and... Yeah, one of the only moments that Jotaro has where he looks like a kind, approachable human being. 
But also the Crusaders are just a bunch of bullies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, th this whole episode is nonsensical and everyone's unhinged and I don't know what the hell is going on. So despite it being a very lackluster fight, technically, everything else that's going on around it, especially with the Crusaders, is just what makes this episode so enjoyable. Like it, it could be a very boring episode, but I like watching how stupid everyone is acting in this whole this whole sequence. Before we cut to the final scene for this episode, we do get some stand stats. Uh, I know earlier there were stand stats for Star Platinum. However, we've already discussed that. I think the most recent uh, episode to feature Star Platinum stand stats was part, part three, episode six, Dark Blue Moon. But we do get new stand stats here for Wheel of Fortune. So we have destructive power at B, speed at D, range at D, durability at A, precision and accuracy at D, and development potential at D. So if you really think about it, this the stand is kind of shit. <laughs> um, I think it's just the, the durability aspect with you know ZZ's confidence increasing and making it more of a threat to the Crusaders um, where it seems like it's dangerous. Um, but obviously the Crusaders were able to outsmart ZZ and Wheel of Fortune. Um, some pieces of trivia regarding uh, the design of Wheel of Fortune. It was inspired by horror films such as Duel and Christine, which feature stylish cars as the main antagonist or the vehicle of the main antagonist. So going along with how enemy stands or enemy stand users are kind of influenced by a lot of these 80s horror films or TV shows, uh, Wheel of Fortune's, I think, initial appearance, uh, vehicular appearance, is designed to look like an American car from the 60s or 70s, notably a 1952 Hudson Hornet. This may also be a reference to the frequent use of car imagery by ZZ's namesake ZZ Top, most notably on the cover for their 1983 album Eliminator, which seems to have, or like Wheel of Fortune almost has like a passing resemblance to the car featured on that album cover. Right before the eye catch, I know that Jotaro has a brief moment where he tells Anne that she's going back on a going on a plane back to Hong Kong. She's like, "What? Why?" And probably because they were like, "We tried to send your ass home the first time and it didn't work, so we're gonna try again." Because she really shouldn't be out and about, um, you know, hitchhiking and trying to explore the world after running away from home. But I think they actually resolve that plot line in the beginning of the next episode. But then after the eye catch, we have the closing scene where Anyaba says that she now has to face the Crusaders using her own stand justice because everyone that she sent up until this point has failed. So now Anyaba is going to join the fray. Should've, A challenger appears. <laughs> Should have just done it herself in the beginning. Like Thanos, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> and I think that's where like now we're entering a two-part arc for, for justice. So that'll be... Very interesting. And we're going to get more Polar F toilet moments. I'm looking forward to that. That's one of my favorite parts from the Justice arc. Oh, is that where it happens? That's one of the places <laughs> that these toilet moments happen for him. <laughs> and that brings us to our final thoughts for part three, episode 13, Wheel of Fortune. So did you really enjoy this episode? Oh, my God. <laughs> I I did. I, I enjoyed ha like halfway. Um, not so much like halfway of the episode, but I enjoyed half of what was going on. Again, all of the comedic moments, all the lighthearted moments, all of the unhinged moments, all of the weird decisions that 
characters were making that were very out of character for them, just ex- except for Kakyoin. He was the only one that was pretty consistent throughout the episode. That stuff I all really enjoyed. But again, I, I think that the actual stand battle was pretty basic. It was um, kind of just, you know, a car pushing another car off a cliff, and then the car shot some gasoline at them. Like, there just wasn't a... There wasn't enough of a battle really to to go off of, um, but that's fine. Sometimes you don't need to have this full drawn out battle. You just need to have some sort of conflict to allow everything else to flow. So that's fine. And I think in a, a show like this, or rather a, a part like this, where we have enemy stand user of the week formula, it's okay to change things up. It's okay to not have the exact same cookie cutter type of stand battle every single time. So I'm not necessarily disappointed or, um, you know, like not entertained by this episode. Um, But I still do want to call out that it is a very different enemy stand battle than what we typically see in Stardust Crusaders. What about you? I thought this was a satisfactory episode with a slightly uninspiring antagonist that turns out to be nothing more than a glorified Transformer. But we do get some quality time with all of the Crusaders, save for Alfdal, of course, in this leg of the journey. So it was great seeing them all work together and even just goof off together to take down Wheel of Fortune. Uh, so I think their group dynamic really is meant to be the highlight of this episode. But other than that, I, there's not much for me to say about what happens in Wheel of Fortune. So I would say this is one that you can kind of just drive straight past without it leaving much of an imprint. Well, even if this one wasn't super exciting, we'll have some exciting episodes coming up. Um, again, with Justice and some of the other stand battles. I think from here on out, things do get more and more interesting with each new uh, enemy stand user that's introduced. Again, still going to see a, a variety of types of battles. Some of them are going to be short. Some of them are going to be pretty drawn out. But I think the intensity and the threat level behind them increases because now it's more of like the skilled fighters that they're going to go up against or skilled enemy stand users they're going to go up against. Because the way I perceive it is kind of like three tiered. Like we've gone through tier one of enemy stand users from Dio. And then when Anyaba joins the fray, I feel like that's like tier two. Like you've got even more intense battles, but then you have tier three when they get closer to Dio and they go up against the Egyptian gods. Um, like that's like the the cream of the crop. Uh, Dio the Egyptian has. God, they're named after. Well, yeah, Egyptian you know what I mean. <laughs> they're 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 naming conventions. They're signaling that these are the the most skilled fighters that Dio has. So I think we're now entering tier two, like that level of enemy stand users, which means more exciting battles. So that'll be something that we will be excited to talk about. You mean to say it's like a pyramid? Whoa! And now we're on the second level of the pyramid <laughs> to, to connect with, you know, the Egypt theme. Until we get to Vanilla Ice, who's at the top, the very, the very peak there. <laughs> the cream of the, the cream, crop. yeah, Vanilla Ice cream of the crop. <laughs> And as always, thank you guys for tuning in and joining us for another episode of Stardust Crusaders and our review of that. We appreciate you guys so, so much. And as always, subscribe to Strictly Jojo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.